Hello, welcome back to So What Does Judaism Say About? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me always is the astounding Rabbi Mayor Beer. How are you doing today, Rabbi Beer? Fantastic. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What does Judaism say about the matriarchs? That's a great question. Now, what I mean is, if you read the Chumash, you read the, if you read the, the Torah, there's a lot about the patriarchs. The matriarchs are there, but there seems to be, you know, at least textually, an emphasis on the patriarchs. So I want to highlight what are the attributes or the aspects of the matriarchs that we've seen that really give us a historical significance and context of these wonderful women in Judaism and, and up until we are today. Yeah, that's, so this is, this is a great question. And I think some people have a tendency when they read the beginning of the Chumash and they read about the formative era of the Jewish people to make a, an assumption that the patriarchs are more significant than the matriarchs. Now, why wouldn't I make that assumption? Well, that assumption, I think, is something many can make. Just as you pointed out, there's just more stories. There's more volume given to the patriarchs. Um, and, and is that correct or is that incorrect? So there's a there's a really interesting source on this, which I think will help balance out this discussion. Uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, the Torah writes, Vayish by Yosef as B'nai Yisrael, and Joseph made a vow to the Jewish people. Lamar saying, Pakod Yifkod Elohim Eschem, God will remember you. The word Pakod is repeated, like there's a double remembrance, there's a significance, well certainly as it is often translated, remember you. Now the Balhaturim, the Balhaturim was written by the Tur. The Tur, well, that's the name of his book, the Arbaturim. What's his real name? Uh, Yaakov ben Asher. He was the son of the Rush, Rabbeinu Asher. This is the end of the medieval era. It's called the Rishonim of Jewish scholastic works. This is, this is the one of the most important codes of Jewish law. It was the format used by the Shulchan Aruch, which is perhaps the most famous of the Jewish codes. And he writes that the double language of Pakod Yifkod, I will remember, remember, or certainly remember, is I will remember the Jewish people in the merit, this is God talking, or Joseph telling the Jewish people that God is going to remember you, for the merit, or as we can retranslate in, in, in the, um, as the, Remember for the significance of what they've built, both the matriarchs and the patriarchs. So we have the Jewish people who are worthy of being remembered, of being redeemed from Egypt, because of the creation of both the matriarchs and the patriarchs. And they're both listed. And Moshe, actually, when he tells the Jewish people that God is remembering them, uses the same language of Pakod Yifkod, which mm-hmm. the Medrash says was actually kind of like a code that the elders of the Jewish people had that the person who was going to be the Redeemer, which in this case was Moshe, was going to use. So this is a significant language. And the significant language of the redemption that the Jewish people had when they left Egypt has a point for the matriarchs and the patriarchs. Right. So there's there's another um, another source for this. Okay, the in Shir Ashir, in the Song of Songs. King a, Solomon. One of his great works. <laughs> Greatest hits, back again. Song of Songs. Writes uh, on, on a verse in Song of Songs that says, Midalig al-Haharim, Mekapes al-Hagvos. That the Jewish people 
jumped over mountains and leaped over elevated areas. So this just seems like a you know like this poetic way of saying the same thing twice. They jumped over high points. One says jump over mountains. The other one says leap over these high areas, plateaus, if you will. The Vilna Gon, based on a language of the Talmud in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, page 11a, writes that this refers to what had been put into the Jewish people by the matriarchs and the patriarchs. So, the Medalag Alaharim, the jumping over mountains. So, Dilug is a high, but not very far leap. So, you come to a, you know, like a, like a, um, one of those track and field events where you're leaping over some sort the of hurdle. Jump. The high, the jump, high jump, the hurdle, right? One of these. And you have somebody, so it's not a very wide, you know, bump in the path, so to speak, but you have to quickly you have to get hurdle over a high point. So it's not it's not it's not a jump which is going to be very far, but it's going to be a high jump. That was something which the patriarchs put into the Jewish people. So you have these, you know, big philosophical issues which they reconciled, and you know these kind of you know. Yeah, big and, and my mind is racing and thinking, you know, w- w- what exactly it means to have the the, the male aspect of wisdom is, is in, you know is, is called this this idea of like chokhmah, the idea of like big ideas. Like there's a lot of big ideas, and and, and men oftentimes that's the thing. Like they, there's the, there's the, the ri- those rising moments, those those home run moments. They don't last very long, but they're they're big and explosive, and they're right there. Right. So this is a stereotypical male achievement. Right. That doesn't mean women can't do this, but we're putting the significance of this on the patriarchs, whereas the matriarchs have like the longer, not necessarily as high, but the longer the, hurdles to overcome. That's called the broad jump. Right. Which the Vilna Gaon says are more cultural issues. The Jewish people are living in Egypt. They're dealing with a culture which is very, which is sometimes antithetical to Jewish values, and it is the seeds planted by the matriarchs, the values planted by the matriarchs, so to speak, the you know stereotypical Jewish mother, just keeping the keel, keeping everything balanced, which got over those hurdles. So it's not necessarily as visible because they're not as high. But they're harder because they're longer, and you need a, like a steady, right, it's like even that, that marathon distance running. You just got to one foot in front of the next, keep it going. The, the persistence, the the, the exactly. faith, the ability to continue the Jewish home through thick and thin, not giving up hope. Right, so when you have a debate, so to speak, a, a, a or a confrontation, that will be something which will be attributed to the patriarchs. They fought for these ideas in public, but who was keeping the negative cultural influences out of the Jewish home? That's the matriarchs. So they're both significant, and they're both equally important, and the Jewish nation could not have been formed without both of those components. So we have the patriarchs, and we have the matriarchs. Why are there more stories about the patriarchs? Because they might make better stories, but not necessarily because they had a more significant contribution. Wow, well said. So I'll share you at, well, now I'd like to take your initial point of the matriarchs and the patriarchs and take a little further in history. The Talmud writes in Tractate Sota, page 11b, Bishar Nashim Sidkanios and the merit of the righteous women, this is referring to the women of the Jewish nation while the Jews were in Egypt, subjugated by the Egyptians, Shahayu Ba'usahadar that were alive or around in that generation, Nigalo Yisrael Mitzrayim, the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt. So, in the merit or the contribution of the Jewish women in Egypt is what caused the nation or allowed the nation to be redeemed from Egypt. So, so that last critical leap from an enslaved people to the nation that would be 
the official Jewish nation, happened in the merit of the women of that generation. And what did they do? So as you can imagine, being in a being an enslaved people can be very difficult to the esteem of people, to people's self-esteem. Family can break apart. You know, you really just don't have any sense of worth when you're a slave. Right. And the Talmud says that the women put extra effort into keeping their families happy and healthy. They would beautify themselves under extremely difficult conditions so that their husbands would feel like they had a home to belong to. Like, I have a wife that still tries to look to look good. You know, who's not falling into this trap that I'm a worthless slave. They kept that going. They kept the the core family going. Wow. This is not a story which is once again necessarily going to make the you know fifty greatest hits of the storytelling right. uh, uh, you know whatever series, but it's these little things and keeping the family going, keeping relationships going, keeping people's self esteem going, which allowed the nation to persevere and get over as you point as you said that marathon run yeah. through this difficulty and become the uh, the nation that we are. And, and it's amazing because we're talking about Jews in exile in Egypt. And amazingly, I'm just thinking about this now, the matriarchs, which is where this conversation began, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, those are the matriarchs. They're all born in homes in exile. Meaning Abraham, yeah, he has his moment of breaking away from his family. And then you have Isaac born into that family and Jacob born into that family. But they're all taking wives, Abraham included, from families that were that were the values that the women were, were upholding were in a time of exile, even back then. So it's like they were spiritually bred to have, uh, through their own choices and morality, to have the, 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 the stamina. The resilience. Exactly, to, to withstand the challenge of exile, which is going to be in Egypt, and then ultimately the, the, the subsequent four exiles, Babylon, Persia, which of course, you know, I think you're probably going to get to it, maybe, maybe not, uh, Queen Esther in Persia, uh, we're going to see... Now, this is, this, I actually wasn't, but this would be make for great episodes to continue this. We, then we got to go through all of them. We're going to see Hanukkah, we're going to see Yehudah, she's going to save the day all, in, in the exile, the Greek exile, and then we're in the Roman exile. Our producer says we can't go on for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the, the Roman exile, which but I'd love in, to, which we're which we're in now, which is the longest of one. Which again, that Jewish home, we all you know, if if you go somewhere for Shabbos and 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 myself included, the first time you experience a, sh- a traditional Shabbat, you see the home radiate and those values permeate straight through, and you see the candles and the way everything is presented. That's all coming from the woman. It's all coming from yeah. the house. There's in fact there's a holiday which is specific to women. The Medrash teaches that when the Jewish people sinned with the incident with the golden calf, so this is their initial stage, they've just gotten the Torah, Moshe leaves, this is a very tumultuous event, Moshe's gone, they don't know who their leader's going to be, and the Jewish people just fall apart. So when I said the Jewish people, I actually did not speak correctly. It wasn't the Jewish people. It was the Jewish men that fell apart. Right. The women refused to participate. The women said, we're going to remain steadfast. We're not going to fall apart at the seams because there's a crisis. We're going to stay even keeled. The women have no part, Refused no, to participate in the golden calf. In the golden calf. And as a result, the, there is a longstanding tr- documented custom for women 
to celebrate Rosh Chodesh, which is the first of the month, the Jewish calendar, the first day of the lunar, the lunar month, as a holiday, well, they will refrain from doing certain strenuous activities. So certain, in certain communities, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do laundry or you know, things which are kind of tasks or, or chores they would right. refrain from doing on that day. Like a quasi-Shabbat, a quasi-Holic, yeah. quasi-Yom Tov and, for them. And Jewish tradition has it that if men decide to keep Rosh Chodesh, as a quali- as a quasi holiday, as you put it, that's incorrect. Only women can participate in that. And the moon signifies the Jewish people going through light and dark eras, and okay. waxing and wanes. Waxes and wanes. Right. Who who is the force that keeps the Jewish people steady in those different trials and tribulations? It's the women, and because historically the women have been successful at that, far more so than the men, they have the right to celebrate that as a minor holiday. Men do not. Wow. So if you want to empower Jewish women. This is a great way to do it. We can, I don't know that women do this necessarily, but it's certainly a documented tradition, and it would be a very proper thing to do if they would like to do something that's special for women. Kind of jumping through, uh, you know, a couple thousand years of history. You know, we jump through millennium. You know, that's what we do as Jews. We're just bouncing through millennium, you know, one after the next, go back, go forward. That's what we do. I'm going to quote a line of the Talmud. The Talmud entracted brachos. Page 17a writes, Gadola Haftacha, Shaftichan Akadash Baruch Hanashim, greater is the promise that God promised to the women, Yosur Min Hanashim, more so than men. And the Talmud is referring to spiritual connection. The Tzlach, the Nodi Behuda, Rabbi Cheskalando, writes that people mistakenly assume that because women are not necessarily in visible positions spiritually, that they're less significant. Than men, so the Talmud specifically has to write that women are, generally speaking, more spiritually significant than men. Now, why is that? Right, so that's a very good point. So, just so we're, we're talking about something else, we're going to notice. We talked about the Torah, noticing the emphasis on maybe the patriarchal stories, and we're realizing now that that that's not the significance. Really, is the emphasis is, is not necessarily there. And then over here, sort of that public idea. In, whether it's in the synagogue or the, the positions of, of, of rabbinic significance. So you would assume, oh, men are more spiritual. The answer is actually coming, saying, no, actually, if you look at it, women are more spiritually significant. So the Maharal, the Maharal makes this point, Vihuda Loi, one of the greatest Jewish philosophers of the past 500 years. Mid 16, mid-1500s? Mid-1600s. I think, late, yes. Mid-1600s, right. Prague. In that... We visited his shul on the on the Moor Poland Prague trip, and we should go back again. It was amazing. You should take me. I haven't been. Okay, we'll have to do that. All right. Writes that women, one can just observe, generally have a stronger connection to spiritual values than men do. And there are all sorts of social indications of this in relationships. Um, if you'd like to share... Any ideas that any observations that you have, you can you're welcome to do so. I shall keep my observations to myself. But yeah, you know, this is I think most people can can have their own personal take on this. But the the idea being is that there is a natural desire that women have for ethics and moral behavior, which is often absent in men. Now, these are stereotypes. There are very unethical women and very ethical men, and it doesn't mean that men have less of an obligation to be ethical than women. But the point being is that the Talmud writes that there is a greater natural connection that women have their spirituality than men do. And the Talmud seems to be referencing, as the moral interprets, that in the war to come, there often is a greater significance to women than men. In the next world. In the next world. There is a Medrash Shochartov, which is a Medrash written on Tehillim, on Psalms. The Medrash writes that 
in this world, men often surround women. They seem to be more dominant. In the future, in the world to come, and women will have a often a greater significance than men do. So people may seem may make the mistake that because men seem to be louder and get more public credit for things that they're more significant, when very often the opposite is true. Right. And and maybe it's that's why it's true. You know, either either through an overcompensation or maybe also because of the, the, the lacks that male have spiritually they they sort of need a bigger push or whatever it is to overcome those things in this world because they're not feeling it. We've been talking a lot in this series about self-esteem, certainly spiritual self-esteem, and sort of that competition, you know, I, I want to be better, I want to be, I want to accomplish more of this and that other thing. Women having that even killedness probably helps helps a lot to, to feel, no, I'm, I'm me, I'm accomplishing a lot, whether it's behind the scenes or not. And we could, we could all learn from that and I think grow a tremendous amount by trying to trying to incorporate those values. Yeah, sure. I mean, Jewish femininity is a beautiful idea. And rather than ignore it, you know, we, we should put it on a pedestal. We should give it more significance. The traditional respect that Judaism has had for women, which may not have given them enough recognition for their accomplishments, something we can kind of delve into and have a more profound appreciation for what women have achieved for us as a people. Wow. The, the beginning of, a, of certainly, hopefully, a much longer conversation at the right time. And uh, we'll have to do more of this. Maybe we'll go through all the exiles at some point and talk about those. Sure. Until then, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of So, What Does Judaism Say About? See you soon. <laughs>